Do you ever feel like you're just behind? Like no matter what you do, you just can't catch up with all of the things that you have to do. Think about, think about this week. How many of you knocked out every single thing on your to-do list this week? All right, nobody's raising their hand. Good, because this sermon's not for you. All right, and we got one. Uh, this sermon's not for you. Uh, so many people I talk to, this is kind of the, the rhythm of their life. When I ask, hey, how are you doing? The response we always get is what? I'm good, just busy. I'm good, just busy. Think, think about your life. How, does, um, how many emails are in your inbox right now? I check my, my work, and, and listen, most of them are spam. That's the excuse, right? Most of them are spam, but I have 1,300 emails in my inbox right now. That's the work email, personal email. I think there's 26,000. I'll get them cleaned up before New Year, okay? And if you send me an email, I promise I will read it eventually. Um, if you have any complaints about that, you could just email me at drew at forefrontchurch.tv. Um, how many, how many phone calls do you need to respond to? How many loved ones do you need to get back to? How about your house? How's that looking? How's the garage looking? Um, is it clean? Is it organized? Have you been working out lately? Have you called that loved one lately? Do you have a plan to change whatever that is? All right, so I just started by just stressing everyone out. And so from now, this is the low point of the message. We're gonna go up from here, all right? We're all running around trying to, to keep busy, trying to do a lot of different things, and, and we just get so caught up in kind of the busyness and the hustle of the world. I think about this week, right? Two family dinners, Black Friday shopping, uh, had, you know, had a couple days off. So the, but before you take days off, what do you got to do? You got to plan for those days off. That work doesn't stop just because you stop. And so we had a lot of things that we have to do, um, just so busy. And so what we do is we run around trying to do a lot of things, and it causes us to be stressed. It causes us to be over-caffeinated. It causes us to be busy. It's called a busyness sickness. It's a real thing. What, we, what uh, people have found is that even we can't even sit alone with our thoughts. Uh, UVA did this study. And they, they got people together, and they, or they got people, uh, individuals, put them in a, lo- a room alone and said, okay, sit here for 15 minutes. Sit here for 15 minutes. They didn't tell them they were sitting there for 15 minutes, but the max amount of time was 15 minutes. And what they, there was no entertainment. There was nothing, right? You sit there for 15 minutes. They had an option to get out of the room early uh, they would just simply push a button and it would shock them. <laughs> Three quarters of the participants decided that it was easier, it was better to, to undergo a shock than sit in a room alone with their thoughts for 15 minutes. We can't even be alone with our thoughts. Uh, we're just so, so crazy with all the things that are going on in the world. And so what do we do? How do we move into being the kind of people that Jesus wants us to be? Where do we start? And today, I just want to lay the ground. I'm not going to start with, you just need to go home and you need to read your Bible. Listen, I love the Bible. I, I spent a ton of time in this, kind of my thing, right? I, li- I kind of like the story a lot. And so I spent a lot of time uh, in this Bible, but that's not the application of today. The application of today is not that you need to go and you need to pray more. 
and you need to just do a bunch of different things. Some, some in here, maybe you've never trusted Jesus. Maybe some of you are, you've trusted Jesus maybe for the first time and you're on that, that faith journey. I'm concerned that when we introduce people to the way of Jesus, we almost instinctively tell them what they need to do. These are the things that you need to do. And so today is not a list of things that you need to do. What are you going to do? If you and I were to to sit down at coffee, you and I were to sit down at coffee and you were to say, hey, Mitch, I've been, I've been following Jesus for some time, but I wanna, I wanna start fresh with him. What, what do I need to do? Or, or maybe you're saying, hey, I, I don't know about this whole relationship with Jesus thing. What do I need to do? Or, hey, Mitch, I feel like I'm falling apart. What, what do I need to do? I'm, I'm, I would not tell you, you need to read the Bible. You need to uh, pray. Those are all great things. And yes, you should do those. But for me, if we're, if we're talking about the literal God of the universe, the one who holds everything together, for me, it's not about doing things for him. Today, it's about abiding in him, abiding in him. And what is a, abiding? Abiding is having faith that God is God. And so as we conclude this faith series, that's what I'm gonna talk about today is abiding, having faith that God is God. Drew said in our first week of the series, what you trust in is what you have faith in. And abiding is the ability to surrender to the God of the universe and calling him who he is. Abiding is recognizing who God is and who you are in the story. And so what abiding does is it starts with choosing the right thing, choosing the right thing. In Luke chapter 10, we get this story and it's actually bookended by two of the most popular stories in the whole New Testament. So on one side, it's the story of the Good Samaritan, this Samaritan, uh, the, you know, these people come by and they, they leave this guy on the side of the road. And this Samaritan, who's probably the, the outcast in society, is the one that takes care of him, right? And then on the back end of that, we get the Lord's Prayer. And so in this, we get this story. And it says this in uh, Luke 10, 38. It says, now, as they went on their way, and so a little Bible nerd stuff here, Luke throughout uh, the Gospel of Luke is consistently looking toward Jerusalem and looking toward the crucifixion of Jesus. And so he continues, like, as they went on, as they moved on, Jesus entered into a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So Martha was probably uh, pretty wealthy at this time. She was, she was the leader, the host of the house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. By the way, this is very, very countercultural. I know we kind of take that for granted, but a disciple, oh, a female disciple specifically, would have never sat at their, uh, at their leader at the, at the Lord's feet this was so countercultural. It was scandalous for, for them in that time. It says, but Mar uh, Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I love this story because on the, the front end, Jesus encourages what? He encourages people to, to do something, to love their neighbor radically. And then the next story, the very next story, Jesus is saying, okay, 
rest, abide in me, choose the good portion, choose the right thing. And then it's concluded, this three-part story is concluded with Jesus saying, saying that I am the Lord of all, right? When you come to me, know who you're to. And so what would this scene look like in 2023? Jesus is, is sitting at the table. What are you hurrying around doing? What are you running around doing for him? What are you doing? How does this play out? Some of you may say, Mitch, right now I'm on it, right? The 90-day the generosity thing, I'm on it. I'm reading my Bible. Look, look at my U version. I got a streak that is worth, it's, we're going streaking with this streak. It's awesome. Look, look at all the things that I'm doing. I'm running around. The house is clean. Look how many disciples I'm making. I'm on this team. I'm on this team. What, what would that look like? What would that look like in 2024? I'm on it. In 2024, you're going to see a new me, but let's call it what it is. There are some people in here, there's some people in the church that have more willpower than others. Willpower is not a spiritual discipline, by the way. They're just more, and that's just the way it is. For me, I tend to, I'm super driven. I just get things done. Like I sign up to run a marathon, I'm going to run a marathon. If my feet fall off, doesn't matter. I'm running the marathon. I'm, I'm super driven. Like, I love candy. I'm, I'm just 100% on everything. So I love candy. If you were to put candy up here, I'm eating all of it. That's why I don't drink, because if you put something in front of me, I'm drinking all of it. It's going down. And so I'm 100% on, on everything. The church, though, I believe has turned into a willpower contest, where whoever has the most willpower, whoever can deny themselves better. It's at this point, I believe that we're, we're doing everything wrong, where we just say, okay, look, look, God, look at all the, the things I'm doing for you. God, tell, tell her to help me. And so we look at every other Christian and say, look, look at what they're doing or not doing. God, look, look at the things that, that I'm doing. We have missed the forest for the trees. It's not about who doesn't drink or who does drink or who has a streak of reading their Bible or who doesn't or who does what. It's about sitting with the Savior. Would you stop acting like you have the power to transform yourself? Would you stop playing Savior? We don't. What is the thing that is necessary? It says one thing is necessary. It's him. It's him. One thing, him. And, and all of her hurry and all of her busyness, Martha was running around doing a lot of things but she missed the most important thing, which is being with Jesus. To Jesus, relationship is everything, and everything else is secondary. And so you have a choice. Mary chose the right thing. In the midst of all the busyness, in the midst of everything that needed to be done, she chose to sit and gaze at Jesus. Gaze at Jesus. When we gaze at him, we realize that I don't belong here. When we gaze at him, we realize that no matter what I do, it's not going to be good enough. It's not going to be good enough. So can we just sit at his feet, gaze at him, and be infatuated? I love this verse in 1 Chronicles chapter 22. It says this. It says, now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. I love this idea of setting your mind, setting your heart, not on doing God's work or sharing God's word, but set your mind on what? 
loving him, seeking him. Set your mind on who he is. Jesus is not looking for masterful servants. He's looking for people who are so full of him that it pours out into the whole world. Choose the good portion. Choose the good portion. Too much of a good thing can be a a bad thing when it distracts us from the best thing. And the message that we need to hear in the midst of a busy, confusing world is just to come and sit at the table and to be with Jesus. So this is the second point that I have is to take action against busyness. Take action against busyness. What are you going to do? And this is the the point of the message. I probably delivered this message before where I could give you three things, probably 20 things, 20 spiritual disciplines that you can do to take action against busyness, to grow in your spiritual life. I could probably give you a bunch of different things. I probably preached that message, but here's my encouragement. The one thing that you can do to take action against busyness is, is not to stand, not to walk with Jesus, but to simply sit, sit at his feet. Uh, in this, this passage earlier on, it says that Martha was distracted, right? She was distracted with so much serving. And it, it, it says in this passage that she was anxious and troubled about many things. The idea of anxious and troubled might just be the battle cry of this generation, I was uh, I did youth ministry for ten years, right? I did I used to go to high schools, have lunch with students. Nowadays, you can't get onto a high school campus, but back in the day, they didn't didn't even ID me, right? I just walk into the lunch room, sit down. It was a, it was a blast. I don't, they don't let you do that anymore. Like creepers do that stuff. So now. Now you can't do that. And I remember going into these high, high schools and working in youth ministry, the biggest anxiety, the biggest problem that these students have was this boy didn't like me, this girl didn't like me, she rejected me to go to, to, go to prom, all of those type of things. Am I gonna make the sports team? Like, what do my parents think of me? Where am I gonna go to college? What's God's will for my life? Like, all of those things. Now you talk to a high school student and it's, They're so overcome with anxiety. 45 million Americans struggle with anxiety and depression, according to um, the Mental Health America. Now they're overcome with anxiety. You talk to a high schooler and it's, I don't know what career I'm going to have when I'm 35. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, don't, I feel like I've ruined my whole life. Now, what, what am I going to do? They're overcome with these things. They're overcome with anxiety. Let me just ask you, when was the last time you let God love you? You just let God love you. I, I, I love that idea of just letting God love you. I have a, a six-year-old who she's at this age now where she makes me things all the time, right? Little pieces of paper that say, dad, I love you. Little unicorns that are on like little scrap pieces of paper, bracelets. I've got so many bracelets. You guys need bracelets? I've got so many rubber band bracelets. I got all sorts of things, right? She makes me things all the time. And my daughter doesn't make me things because I want her to make me things. She, She does that because... I love her, and she feels that love. I, I love her. The other day, 
she, and, and kids want different things at different times, right? Um, my, my oldest, so she's eight. We got her a Star Wars Lego kit, so we're working on that. It's like a 1,000 pieces. My youngest wanted a tree. Uh, what kind of kid wants a tree? So she, we, got her, we got her tree, but I don't get these things because I don't get her these things because I, I want more bracelets. I don't, I don't do these things for her because I want more of those things. I, I do that because I simply, I just love her. I love her. For us, it starts with surrender. It starts with just sitting with him. Listen, you know what more I want for my daughter than a bracelet or a poem or whatever she's going to write or the craft that she's doing right now in, in kids' church? You know what? I, I just want to sit with her. I just want to be with her. I just want to hear her laugh. That's what I want. It starts with sitting with him. And so how do you come back to God when you've fallen away? How do you start living with God? How do you come back to God when you feel like you've just lived in unbelief? What do I need to do? What's my next step in my faith journey? I've been following Jesus for so long. What's the next step? This whole faith thing is new to me. I've maybe been around religious people, but I don't really know what this is. I've never done anything like this. What do I need to do? Just sit with him. Sit with him. But Mitch, I feel like I'm so tired. Good. Sit with him. I feel like I'm broken. I feel like, feel like it's all falling apart. I feel like I just want to give up. I have a plan. I just want to give up on all of it. Good. Give up. Surrender. Give up. Sit with him. I feel like I'm broken. Good. Sit with him. Maybe the biggest step is not doing more, but resting more. Just sit with him. He just wants to be with you. You need to prioritize that in your life. And now imagine we were, we were packing, right? We just went down to, to Pueblo for, for a day. Um, and I don't know if it's just us or our family. My wife has a minivan. We packed that thing full for one day. And, and what would happen if we just kind of threw everything in there? Like, okay, here's, here's a suitcase. Here's the pie. Like, here's the crock pot. Here's all the, the stuff. Like, we're maybe fitting half the stuff in there that we need to. But if we're, we prioritize what's important, if we're focused on putting things where they need to go, we're able to put in everything that we need to. If we don't, people are sitting with suitcases on their laps and all that stuff. If, but when we prioritize, we're able to fit everything in there. Listen, we have a culture of, of restlessness. We have a culture of an un, unquenchable thirst for more. We want more. We want more. We want more. Black Friday just happened, right? How many of you were just like, well, do I really need that? Doesn't matter. It's on sale. It was $2.99, then it was $2.99, but then they bumped up the price to $3.99 and then discounted it for $2.99. I gotta have it right now. Like we all, it's just, maybe it's just me. I'm just preaching to myself this morning. This is me, okay? We live in a culture that just wants more. In the 1960s, in the 1960s, people theorized that um, by this time, there would just be too much leisure. That would be the biggest struggle in the 2020s, that there'll be too much leisure, that Rosie from the Jetsons would just figure everything out and we would just sit back in too much leisure. There was actually a famous Senate subcommittee uh, before Nixon that concluded by 1988, by 1988, the average American would work 20 hours a week. That's not what happened. What we did was we created labor-saving devices. 
We created labor-saving devices. We created all sorts of great things that can do a lot of things for us. Can you imagine if I had to put this whole sermon together on a typewriter? Like, what would that look like? This takes so much time, but now I can just put it together on this super easy, super convenient. But what happened is we just filled up our time with more. And what people theorize is that we exchanged time for money. And so we, we said, okay, I... I I'm gonna give up this time and I'll create these labor-saving devices. I'll do all this and then you know what I'm gonna do? So I'm gonna fill more time so that I can have more money. And what has happened is we became the most prosperous nation that has ever existed on the earth, but we've also become the most depressed nation, the busiest nation, the over-caffeinated nation, the most overweight nation that has ever existed. Before the invention of the light bulb, the average American slept 11 to 12 hours a night. Today, it's less than seven. And so this leads us to be accident-prone, tired, and overweight, dependent on gross bean water that just fuels us, right? And if you're addicted to coffee, I'm sorry. That's maybe the, that's my biggest flaw. I apologize, but we've become over-caffeinated, and so we just need things to just keep us, keep us going, to keep us moving. Our problem is not that we don't have the right tools to help us, but that we don't take action to de- develop the habit of rest. God built this into the way that he created us, this habit of rest. It's called Sabbath. God created the Sabbath, a day to declare to God, a day to declare to the world, to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors that I'm not in control, God is. What would that look like to your family if you said, you know what, today I'm just going to abide in him. Today I'm just going to Take time, I'm gonna sit at his feet, I'm going to study his word, I'm going to pray, I'm going to relax, I'm gonna eat good food, I'm gonna drink good drink, that could be coffee or something else, whatever that is, that that I'm going to declare that this is the day that the Lord has made, and I'm going to rest. You know what that is? That's faith. To say, you know what? I have a thousand emails that I could respond to. I have a yard that needs mowing. I got Christmas decorations to go up. I got a garage to clean. I got kids' homework to help with. But you know what? Today, I'm going to rest. I'm gonna declare to the world that I'm not God, that he is. I'm not Lord of this world, but he is. He's in control, I'm not. I'm going to declare to God that. And, and you may say, when I bring up Sabbath, right, well, you may say things like, well, Jesus broke the Sabbath, right? Well, Jesus broke the Sabbath, so Sabbath isn't a rule that we need to follow anymore. It's not a guideline of the way that we should live life, but it's, it's a thing that, that Jesus broke. Jesus also called himself the Lord of the Sabbath. Are you the Lord of the Sabbath? Jesus worked on the Sabbath, yes, but he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And like Darren prayed earlier, God is God and I'm not. God is God and I'm not. Their problem in their day is that they had so many rules around the Sabbath. Like you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't, you can only take so many steps and that type of thing. Our problem today is that we have no rules around the Sabbath. And so other things fill that time and we leave ourselves restless, irritated, annoyed. I, lo- I love what Mark Buchanan says. He says, Sabbath is about trust. Sabbath is turning over to God all those things 
our money, our work, our Sabbath, our reputations, our plans, our projects, that we are otherwise tempted to hold tight in our closed fists, hold on to for dear life. What if we showed the world exactly who we have our trust in? What if we battled against busyness? What if we chose the right thing? What if we chose the good portion and had our fill on that? What if we rested? What if we simply abided in him? In John chapter 15, it talks about Jesus being this, this vine and we're the branches that come off this vine. And in him, when, we're, when we abide in him, we produce this, this fruit. And, and so many people, we get caught up on the fruit. Like, what is the fruit of spirit? What does God want me to do? What's the fruit in my life? God, I'm not seeing any fruit in my life. Or I am seeing fruit in my life. God, develop this. And, and what does that look like? And we lose sight of the, the main thing. In John chapter 15, it says, whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever abides in me will produce much fruit. Whoever abides in, whoever rests in me, whoever is near me, whoever sits at my feet, abiding is active. It's a conscious, everyday, day-by-day decision to say, I'm not the ruler of my world, Jesus, you are. I'm not the one who produces the fruit. Jesus, you produce the fruit for me. What's my job? It's to abide. What's my job? It's, it's to simply sit with him, to be with him. This brings me to the, the last point that I have here is just develop the ability to be interrupted. Are you interruptible? I want to ask you a, a very pointed question. If Jesus wanted to get your attention, how would he go about doing that? How would he go about doing that? In the rhythm of your everyday life, how would God get your attention? Are you taking the time to listen to him? And we know that God can put a message in the sky, right? He can put HDTV in the sky, but most of the time he doesn't oper- operate like that. He operates in the still, small voice. He operates in our time of rest. He gives us clarity of thought. Do you have the ability to be interrupted? Verse 42 in this passage with Mary and Martha, it says, one thing is necessary. One thing, not multiple things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. I I imagine the scene where it's a busy house running around. Jesus is in the house. What are you gonna do? Jesus is in the house. If Jesus walked in here today, we're probably doing a ton of things. Laying down coats, right? We're, we're all, all of a sudden we turn into charismatics. It's going wild in here. Jesus is here, right? He's up here. We're all probably doing a bunch of stuff because we want to get his attention. Have you ever seen a famous person, right? We all try to get their attention. Jesus walks in, we're all trying, but he says one thing is necessary. She's chosen the good portion and it will not be taken away from her. The food will go away. The friends will go away. The family will go away, but Jesus will never go away. He says, I am the good portion. An interruption is an opportunity for God to break into our lives and to work through us. Are you interruptible? Or do you, do you have it all together? Garage is clean. Everything's good. Jesus can just, he can come into this clean house with these nice kids who never do anything wrong. Are you interruptible? We often need to abandon our plans to join into what God was doing. 
Martha had good plans. She was doing a good thing, right? I'm not saying those things are, are bad. She had good plans, but Mary was interrupted. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes this in a, a book that I just love. I read it every year. It's called Life Together. He says, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. We may pass them by preoccupied with our more important tasks. It is a strange fact that Christians and even ministers frequently consider their work so important and urgent that they will allow nothing to disturb them. They think they are doing God a service in this, but actually they're disdaining God's crooked yet straight path. What if we viewed interruption differently? What if we viewed God differently? What if we viewed our work differently? The way that we go about things. What if we started living our lives as vessels of God for the sake of his glory and for the love of others? What would that look like in our lives? Faithfulness then as we conclude this series is the ability just to listen to God and to care about what he says more than anything else. And I had a whole plan last week on the way that I was going to conclude this message in this series. And then this verse simply struck me in an email that was about, it was about money. And we're not going to talk about money today, but in Psalm chapter 23, David writes this. And uh, what most people think is that David writes this Psalm as he is uh, king of Israel. Everything's going well for him. And he's recalling his days as a shepherd in a field. And he writes this Psalm and this one verse struck me, and then we're going to just pray the rest of Psalm 23 together. I don't have it up on the screen, but, but allow the words to just sink into you and, and to abide in him this morning. Psalm 23, 1, in the ESV, that's the version that I typically read. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord, my shepherd, I shall not want. And I've always read that. Up until last week, I've always read that and said, okay, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay, Mitch, what are you gonna do to not want? What are you going to do to, to discipline yourself so that you're not wanting? Okay, close all those apps. You don't need anything more. Give away stuff, give away money, give away time. I shall not want. And then this email, it had a, had a different version. So I just wanna read a couple different versions for you, different ways of translating it. In the NASB, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not be in need. It's a, it's a different thing. That God is my shepherd, there, there's no reason for me to, to need anything. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I have all that I need. I have all that I want in him that the world is going crazy, the world's on fire. Is this gonna happen? Is that gonna happen? What is gonna happen? I lack nothing. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. I have all that I need. That he is enough. Gazing at him enough. Sitting at his feet is enough. Abiding in him is enough. I don't need anything else. All I have 
is right there, just sitting at his feet. He gives you what you need. When you surrender, when you say, hey, I'm tired of doing all of that good, surrender, raise the white flag, and just abide at his feet. He gives you what you need. If you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to pray Psalm 23 over you. So we conclude this series about faith. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever.